Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground. Alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. Transforming truth truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Prison industrial complex and the skyrocketing rate of incarceration has left the United States with the highest incarceration rate in the world. The issue ties together many social aspects, such as the connection between the massive rate of imprisonment for nonviolent drug use rampant poverty and the growing political influence of private prison industries that thrive on inmate population as cheap forms of labor. So what's an incarcerated criminal worth? What companies run these prisons? And how and what impact does the growing industry of private prisons have on communities that are now relying on these prisons as their only economic basis? Anywhere from 170 to 200,000 uh, individuals serving time in private prisons. The history of private prisons started with what was called convict leasing. 
historically private prisons were part of something called convict leasing. At the end of slavery in the United States, you had these huge plantations that still needed workers, but slavery was outlawed. And so what would happen is facilities in the South in particular would engage in convict leasing. They would lease large numbers of convicts to plantation owners, um, to factory owners, and that forced labor essentially was the beginning of privatization of the corrections process. Then you saw a bit of a hiatus, and then in the huge jump in incarceration between the 70s and the year 2000, um, we saw an increase in um, privatization of prisons. You saw the d development of the CCA, the Correctional um, Corporation of America, and GEO, which is at one point the Wackenhut Group. Those are the two primary uh, prison, pr private prison providers in the United States. The downturn occurred in 2008. Um, began to gravitate toward private prisons um, as a way to generate income. The promise was build a prison, we'll bring uh, inmates from out of the area, and we'll fill your facilities. CCA threatened to sue one community for not sending enough prisoners, even though there were problems with escapes in Arizona. Um, so I think that there's there are those kinds of economic impacts. Private prisons spend an enormous amount of money lobbying. And then there is the issue of inhumane treatment in the facilities. Well, you know, throughout the country, medical care, health care for people who are incarcerated is abysmal, with few exceptions. And New York is, is no different. And part of this is because of the economy. And so there's not enough dollars that are being spent to provide people with adequate medical care. Dental care is absolutely abysmal. People who have substance abuse treatment issues are being treated kind of in a cookie-cutter approach so that it's a one-size-fits-all, no matter how old or long someone has had an addiction problem. And so we have found that this is an ongoing problem. In addition, we found major problems with respect to the treatment of the mentally ill. There's a disproportionate number of people who have mental illness um, who are incarcerated. Put them in prison, and in the process, you get rid of the problems they supposedly have. Mm. You hide the problems of poverty by incarcerating people. And in the process, of course, you create another profitable enterprise. You create a profitable prison industrial complex. Mass incarceration is not only payback for the civil rights movement, but it reflects a fundamental choice that has been made about how we as a nation will define ourselves in this era of global capitalism. Who the winners and losers will be, how they will be defined, and how those at the bottom will be dealt with, and the message it will send to the rest of us. The profit has entered into the equation. Private prisons own prisons, and their stock trades on a stock exchange. So there's a vested interest in incarceration. Even once they freed us from slavery, the prison system didn't actually start until they freed black males and they couldn't recapture their free prison labor. So the, our system of capitalism actually exploits labor. So they have to um, incarcerate to get away with extracting free labor. So mm -hmm. I think it's a, a sinister plot as well behind this over-incarceration of minorities. Tonight at Our Common Ground the economics of the privatization of American prisons. Our guest, author, professor, and scholar, expert on the privatization of prisons in America, Dr. Byron E. Price.
We invite you to join us in this discussion at 347-838-9852. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Quinn. And that's the point. Yeah, cottage industries are developing all around. So it's time for us, you know, mass incarceration is going to undermine our community this time. And like I said, Brother Bless, so I, he, we got two right here. So. It's time for us to jump it off. We have to destroy, like Sister Angela Davis said, prisons are obsolete now. Right. We know, so we have to get rid of prisons, okay? And I know some people, you know, that are, you know, that are, that are very hardened criminals, then, you know, something can be done. But nonviolent offenders and a lot of people who are coming out trying to get back and reintegrate into society, we got to start creating some jobs, yeah. too. We've got okay. to have a solid community advocacy for changing some of these laws that feed into this total conspiracy. And I also throw into there that private, publicly funded schools are killing uh, their way into the pipeline. Mr. Bledsoe, what I want to do, and for our caller from 443, is to invite you to join Dr. Price and I on February 22nd, where we're going to have a plan, a plan of action. We're going to uh, bring the activists on this issue so that we can begin to work locally and work out towards some national action uh, on the issue of breaking the chains of of this conspiracy, but we also need to add some of the people who have been incarcerated because we we, we do a lot Absolutely. of theory and so forth, and I think we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't have uh, Stephen and, and some of the other ones in from the uh, from the ground ground up. You know, when, when we start out, we, we definitely need to do that. Will you commit to joining us on the twenty second when we are spending two hours talking about? Um, how we organize. Yeah, I'm committed. I'm uh, okay. definitely well, committed. Uh, whatever I can do to help bring bring it to light. Well, thank you so very much. Good and rigorous education. Here's the thing, Janet, though, Janet. A lot of these teachers are afraid of our kids. And that's, I wrote the Absolutely. article for the, for the Huffington Post about humanizing our schools. So when you're afraid of a child, basically... If a child is aggressive, then you think the child is about to do something to you. And so it turns into a criminal incident as opposed to understanding that the kid is just passionate. And as my cousin talked about, how they're sort of labeling these kids. Teacher expectations matter. The 1968 study, uh, the I think it's the, and I might mispronounce it, it's a Pygmalion study, 1968, it gave false information about uh, kids. Uh, like, say, for example, these kids had like an 88, uh, no, 90 IQ, but they gave people uh, information saying the kids had 120 IQ, and they treated the kids like they were, were extremely intelligent, and the ones with the high IQ, they treated them like they were dumb, and it demonstrated that those kids could learn when teachers right. expected from you. And so we need more people of color in the school system as educational psychologists 
and, and, and we can't have them be like these black prosecutors who try to impress their white counterparts by throwing people in jail. See, we need people that will stand up for justice, okay, as opposed to sort of cowing in fear or cowtowing to people. And not, not all white people are bad. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is those people that who, are, who have demonstrated that they are openly against us, we should be willing to sacrifice our careers like Muhammad Ali and stand up for our principles and our beliefs to protect our kids. But we don't have enough men. I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. Like I say, uh, I'm a soldier, you know, and this is what I'm going to do spending the rest of my life doing because cause oh. I'm, I'm tired. Yeah, I'm like Fannie Lou Hamer now. I'm like Fannie Lou Hamer now. Now, I've been doing this for 29 years, and you, and we thank you for being here with us at Our Common Ground, tonight at Our Common Ground. As we promised, we said we would do it on February 22nd, but it is not February 22nd. So many things have happened that have pushed this particular broadcast over <clears throat> into the schedule, but we are committed to looking at how we plan resist and protest the school-to-prison pipeline. And I am so very pleased to be able to welcome Dr. Byron Price back to our common ground. Dr. Price, thank you for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me, Sister Graham. Now you you you're sitting in the second chair tonight, so oh, I, I, I see I see you put me on the spot, but I think May is an appropriate month. What they say, April showers bring May flowers, so we're gonna I know so we're gonna I mean, flowers, we're gonna come and flower some great ideas today. Absolutely, and what we do have to do is to look at how we organize uh, to dismantle school, the school to prison. Um, prison pipeline thank you all for being with us and if you are listening and you would like to join us at our broadcast site we're live here at blogtalkradio.com backslash ocg and you can join us you can also listen to us on our websites uh, our common ground talk hyphening.com on Facebook, you can listen to us. All you simply have to do is go to our Facebook page and click on the Blog Talk Radio uh, banner, and you will listen to us. Our number is 347-838-9852, and Dr. Byron Price has joined us as our guest co-host tonight. Now, to frame this, well, we... Uh, back in January, in the first, in our first program of the broadcast season, we talked about the privatization of prisons. And one of the things that we covered, Dr. Price, was that this whole idea, this, this whole scheme, is comprehensive. That in taking control of prisons by private corporations rather than the state. It removes citizen power and control over the policies and the ways that our prisons are being managed and administered. The other is that there has, that, that corporations have utilized a structure of forecasting to ensure that all of the prison 
cells that they are building will be full for profit. Mm -hmm. And we call that the school-to-prison pipeline, and it is an epidemic that is plaguing schools across the nation. Far too often students are suspended, expelled, or even arrested for minor offenses that leave visits to the principal's office a thing of the past, and statistics reflect that these policies disproportionately target black students mm -hmm. and those with a history of abuse, neglect, poverty, or learning disabilities. And yes. students who are forced out of school for disruptive behavior are usually sent back to the origin of their angst and unhappiness, their home environments or their neighborhoods, which may be filled with negative influence. And those who are forced out for smaller offenses become hardened, confused, mm -hmm. and embittered in the normal process of being ostracized. And, and here, folks, are some of the statistics so that you are informed, you know, here at Our Common Ground, we insist upon informed discussion about these things. Here are some statistics from school to prison. Students of color face harsher discipline and are more likely to be pushed out of school than whites. Forty percent of students expelled from U.S. schools each year are black. 70% of students involved in quote-unquote in-school arrests are referred to law enforcement are black or Latino. Three and a half times more. Black students are three and a half times more likely to be suspended than whites. Two times more likely to not graduate as compared to their white counterparts, and 60% of all males in state and federal prison do not have a high school diploma. Now, Dr. Price, if that is not information which leads us to believe that, one, it is epidemic, and two, it is a true crisis in our community. I don't know what what does. Well, I, I said I think I said it the last time, and I've said it before. I do I personally don't think enough black people care about what's really going on. It, we don't care about the right kind of things. It, it's like the saying: we buy what we want and beg for what we need. And then you look at Donald Sterling; he made comments. People are going crazy about basketball, you know. Those uh -huh. mean as okay, you know. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, one of the things that I, I do have to say this in response, one of the things that I am just so sick of, that we're calling everybody a slave. How do you make $2.5 million a year playing basketball and you a slave? Yeah. I guess they mean a mental slave, not a physical, physical slave. <laughs> but, but I agree with you. I, I think they have the economic power to do something about their situation. But 
and I guess the point I was trying to make it, you see, we seem to get upset. I mean, they had the discussions about the young lady Mimi releasing a sex tape. That's a, that's that's the big thing. It's always about something that's insignificant, that's irrelevant. I mean, something that it it, it just I just think we just get distracted by the wrong kind of things. We need to reshift our focus. We, we, we have do the wrong have focus. to. You're, you're absolutely right. We do have to ask the relevant question. The relevant question is, what do we care about? Yes, and I think that's where the biggest. are our priorities. When we yes. talk, you know, it's coming up Mother's Day, mm-hmm. and and I think that so many times, and it's very unfortunate and it's very sad that my observation is this: that I think that. We have, we are indebted to a, uh, a hypocrisy about each other mm-hmm. that is very disturbing. We say we care about our children. We say that we understand that their liberation and our liberation is embedded in priorities having to do with education, self-esteem, self-empowerment, community empowerment. But I'm just not seeing the efforts. But I think the things uh, that you sort of just laid out, you enumerated, a lot of those parents don't possess those attributes that you're hoping that they can convey to their kids transfer to their kids because a lot of them aren't validated or reinforced during their experience during their journey so somewhere along the line you know a lot of them are disengaged just as disengaged as the kids and so and they try to sort of like uh satisfy their kids by buying them games uh, all this electronic crack uh, xbox or whatever as opposed to spend time with their kids and really engaging their kids and spending time with their children. Like Khalil Gibran says, when you give of your possessions, you give little. So when they buy all these things, they give little. But when you give of your time, okay, then you give a great deal. It's so interesting. Uh, I, um, this, this friend of mine, her son, has never caught football with his father. He's 11 years old, never threw a football with his dad. And, and, and he basically goes over his dad's house once or twice a uh, a month. He's never played catch. And he, he talks about how his daddy, the only thing he does is just cut the yard and so forth. So I just see, you know, I don't have kids. Me and my ex-wife had two miscarriages. But one of the things I've gleaned from uh, kids, your life is not your own anymore when you have kids. So if, you, if you're unwilling to sort of uh, provide that time to nurture and cultivate and do what it takes to make sure you have a, uh, a well-adjusted child, then you, you shouldn't have kids. And I think you need to understand when you lay down and have sex, there's a possibility. So we need more sex education for some of these adults as well because a lot of them having babies and they're not really prepared to have kids. And so if you're not a, a well-adjusted uh, adult, then you're, you're more than likely not going to have well-adjusted children either. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, I love to... Um, I'm I'm not going to rephrase, but I love to synthesize the words of Malcolm X. And I think a lot of times we we say what dead heroes said, but we really don't 
mm-hmm. get the gist of it and synthesize it in our own life. And I, I just want to offer this uh, in the context of of this discussion because I think you, yeah, I think you're right that that one thing I was on a radio show last night uh, out of uh, Los Angeles, and one of the things I said that you've got to work pretty hard to stay ignorant. <laughs> You know, but yeah. Malcolm X said to us, and, and this is around the lack of organizing, effective organizing, mm-hmm. successful organizing. But Malcolm X said that the greatest mistake of the civil rights movement was trying to organize a sleeping people around a specific goal. Mm-hmm. He said you have to wake the people up first and then try to ignite mm-hmm. action. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is where we have have failed in so many ways. And, you know, and when you raise the, the, the relevant issue, the relevant question of what are we doing and what are our priorities, especially around our children and around our community, we've got to say that we are sleeping and we're in a deep sleep. And all of this, all of this that has happened um, around the prison industrial complex, around public education for our children, have happened on our watch. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's a organizing, and that's what we're doing here. We're not playing around here because at the end of the two hours tonight, we have got to have an idea of where where we're going from here. It is I am so tired of Facebook and blogs. Mm-hmm. We just and talk shows, we just talk and talk and talk. Mm-hmm. And we are not actualizing any of what the things that we say we know or the things that we believe in. So when you know when they, when white people use this, this code word culture, Dr. Byron, I have to just laugh Mm -hmm. because we use it as a code word too. Culture Mm -hmm. is a system of belief and our culture is fading. It's like like sand just drizzling down between our fingers because I don't think we believe that education is 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 a part of our liberation anymore. If we did, we would have some control over how our tax dollars are spent and how our children are educated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, as Sister Dr. Joyce Ladner said, you know, the death of white sociology, so you can't have them talking about culture. We even know what they mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know we have to have it because even the even the, even the psychological studies even the rat was white so you know we can't have you know people <laughs> you know she was with us a couple of weeks back yeah yeah uh, I remember and I, I think you're right I think one of the things uh, to not sort of beat up on uh, white because you know I get tired of even talking about racism and so forth. I'm just taking the approach. I know it's there, but it's as permanent as death. So anything that requires your very best should be a friend of yours. I think we have to turn everything into a positive. You know, I looked at the documentary, Hey Time, and, it, you know, it talked about uh, uh-huh. 
Black Wall Street, talked about uh, entrepreneurship in Virginia and North Carolina and how the interstate highway system destroyed the black businesses and how they destroyed these businesses. So we know how to do it, but as we but as we were sharing earlier, part of the problem is our focus. Like you say, you're tired of Facebook. But here's the thing. All the venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, all their funding is uh, applications. We don't need any more applications funded. We don't need no more Twitter, no more Facebook. We don't need any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, what we, we need is a principle that says that we will have zero tolerance to our children being targeted for prison. That's what we of, need. Of course, but too many of the politicians uh, that we elect, too many of the so-called representatives, they, I had to throw the church, the preachers in there. I throw all of them into the so-called leaders. Too many of them are about themselves, even the leaders of our institutions are about themselves, you know. Every time I look up, I'm just sick and tired of seeing uh, so-called leaders walking around with their little mistresses with them, and people ta- and then faculty members talking about their rights. But what about your responsibilities to educate our kids? Okay, so I, I think we're failing ourselves. I-, I think we're failing ourselves. I understand the structural impediments. I understand all the impediments that are placed before us, but we've accomplished way more things as Negroes than we have as African-Americans. And you talk about uh, sort of cultivating leadership, succession plans. I mean, the brothers t- want me to wait until I'm 70 years old until I can get in charge of something. Look at uh, Congressman Rangel. What, he's about 90? And he's still running. I mean, uh-huh, come on, uh-huh. come on. I mean, you know, you have to get some people in there with some new ideas, some people just not there to get paid. So I think that's part of our problem. The prison system Okay, so I'm is, putting that on the list in terms of how we transform our platform for political empowerment. We have to tra- we have we have to transform our platform for for political empowerment. Okay. You know, I, I, that's most definitely you know, a lot of people hate for us to be critical of the president, you know, okay now he got this I'm a my brother's keeper initiative, you know. But he's a lame duck president. He can't do anything. That's symbolic. He's well, okay. actually been lame duck since 2000, since he got in there, because they've been so uh, recalcitrant and so against him. But he's really uh, about on the cusp of being a lame duck president. So a lot of the stuff he's doing for black people now is symbolic. But I think in all fairness, we can't expect him to do anything in a system that he basically has no power. He really has no power because... The corporate media and the Bilderbergs and the Oppenheimers and all these people run the world anyway. So he, mm-hmm. I think that's a little unfair criticism and to expect him to be able to do something. Well, when one comes, of the things that we have ahead. to do is we have to connect the dots. We um, do. My Brother's Keeper is a program for which you you can't get any funding unless you have a program located in at least 48 states. That's crap. <laughs> For the kinds of or, uh, organizational structuring we have in our community. I mean, 100 black men cannot participate in My Brother's Keeper because they don't have programs in 48 states. Okay, so, so you're right. So, and this president, in regard to these questions, in regard to these issues, has been lame duck for the last six years. So we should just, dis- we should just dismiss him, just like he's not really paying any attention to us. We should just make him irrelevant because he's okay. not going to be able to help us. 
And, 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 and let me add to our list. We have three things. What are our priorities? How do we address how do we address helping people to develop these priorities? The other is how we transform the political platform for empowerment. What do we care about? But let me add something else, and that's for all of you who are listening, who are prepared to really act, to do something rather than to complain about things, to say that you are powerless. How much do you know about the school-to-prison pipeline in your own community? Mm-hmm. Have you done the research? Have you, have you figured out where are the schools in your community where our children attend and they are victims of disparate treatment in regard to suspension and expulsion? Well, I think something else we need to look at is how many sort of uh, how much public funding goes to private schools and private education because when you think about New York City public schools, they're woefully underfunded, okay, and a lot so of dollars really goes. Really talking to, about charter schools and and how um, not only local, charter schools, just even just private schools. Private schools get money, public money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to look at charter, private, and public ratios of tax dollars. That's right. Okay. And then the I want to other... share something with you. Go go ahead. And then I'll share something. Well, See, one of the things know, you told me I had to come up with some solutions. And one of the things uh, I've been working with is um, with a, a colleague of mine uh, who basically established the learning curve. And mm-hmm. where I give you a little information about the learning curve, it's a team, it's a team steamed accelerator. And what I mean by steam, that's basically science, tech, engineering, art, math, and and design. And so uh-huh. what, what we're going to do with this here uh, accelerator is we teach teams how to make and monetize inventions that matter. Because I think part of our problem is that we don't know how we get all this education and go into $100,000 in debt, and we don't know how to basically, what do we do with the education before yeah. I look for a job? So now we, so we're going to start teaching the kids, you know, how to become entrepreneurs. And because I think this is so important because mm-hmm. there are dozens of programs teaching skills, but not enough on what to do with those skills. For example, coding. Many of these STEM programs in the market propagate the same good old boys culture. And so what Learning Curve is not trying to fill a job order, for example, 1.4 million tech job, but Learning Curve is also not preoccupied with creating young people that declare STEM majors. We're trying to basically create entrepreneurs, and I think the greatest currency in the tech sector is what you have built and shipped. What's your GitHub? Okay, and I stopped at one other point I'm making, and this is where our children could flourish, showing that they are money makers. They understand their people, their customers, their behavior. So we came up with M3 equals make, monetize, monetize, and matter. Making is hands-on experiential learning. Monetize is how do we commercialize entrepreneurship, problem solving, matter, culture, purpose, and policy, because research demonstrates that when kids are engaged, they persist in education. So we need to flip the paradigm on how kids educate, and we need to start thinking about, because we're, we're not into vocational education. We're trying to 
get kids to be, think about how to become the next Reginald Lewis, okay? Mm-hmm. Madam C.J. Walker. That's what we're trying to do. And I'll stop well, there. That's okay, so we'll, we'll put the learning curve as one of the solutions that can be introduced locally. Yes. Uh, as 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 part of a cadre, a toolbox. I mean, every one yeah. of you who's interested in dismantling this school to prison pipeline, you've got to have a local toolkit. You've got to find out who your allies are, who understands this issue, whether or not the people who can assist in your empowerment in yeah. your campaign for resistance understands the issue. Yes. So we're 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 going to put the learning curve, and I did read some information that you passed along, which is a, a good thing about Facebook. <laughs> yes, yeah, that, that's that's one good thing about it. you can do some reading. There's some some of our yeah, educated uh, friends like yourself yeah. post great articles. Well, the 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 thing is that people tend to read information but they don't connect the dots, and that's what we try no, to do here. And for those of you who are listening, please subscribe and like our Facebook page, which is OCG Talk, and Dr. Byron E. Price is also on Facebook, and he and I talk back and forth a lot on Facebook, so you can join both of us on Facebook. Um, but we're going to also if, think about we're going to de- develop our own platform so we can all move over to our own platform and start making them billions of dollars. Cause, okay. You know, I've been thinking, I've been doing that a lot lately. I've been blogging on my own space. I mean, I have had for years um, a space which is similar to, to, to Facebook, and, and, and the thing is we can't get people to subscribe and to participate where we have a chat room, we have everybody gets their own page, everybody can blog and 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 do forums and we can do all of those things at our common ground hyphen talk dot ning dot com. But people just seem to want to flock to Facebook and that is another problem. It it really gets to the issue of white ice. It's colder, you know that. Yeah, but see, that's we, we right. must address culture, and we have to create culture, and we have to basically uh, we have to get a divorce. We have to divorce the culture that's currently in that's our right. community, which and means we we rather spend our money outside of our community with everybody else I, except for within our I community. Have so we have to divorce about this addiction that we have to everything. For instance, Sirius Radio, which is corporate radio. Yes. you've got thousands of listeners. Uh, on and 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 everybody knows that my friend and colleague uh, Dr. Wilma Leon is on Sirius. My friend mm-hmm. and colleague Mark Thompson is on Sirius, and they have wonderful shows. But because we spend twelve dollars a month or twenty dollars a month or whatever it is on Sirius, it depletes resources that really have the independence to work on 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 these issues. Uh and they can tell oh, we need to get up we need to get up with uh, sister Kathy Hughes and see what we can do to get to talk she she runs a lot of stations, right? 
next week or the week after one of the school board members who work who is now a school board member but she was part of the organizing of this but i think that one of the things that we do have to do we have to approach our elected officials and say we are a community that has zero tolerance of the disparities that our children face in disciplinary action we have to say to parents we have to organize the parents and one of the first things we did in our organizing back in 1987 was to meet i was on the radio every uh every morning and and allow parents to call in and talk about their children who had been expelled who had been suspended or uh situations that they were having at their schools and then we held a town meeting which was just for parents and community leadership to talk about what needed to be changed and i think that once you begin to do that you 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 do end up with um a, a real advantage and that is a parent community that understands right. the issues and once they understand the issues they also see their responsibility and obligations in it so um I think you're absolutely right, and it goes to what we already have as part of our agenda that uh, coming from just talking tonight is transforming the political uh, platform, and that is that in in Newark, um, that parents ought to, advocates ought to be meeting with a person like you, an elected official, Mm -hmm. understands the issue asking you to become part of the leadership in developing and changing policy. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, we, we did a, um, a major, major uh, event, which was a series of workshops for teachers and principals to understand the outcomes of the policies that they were implementing. So I, I think it does take a, a lot of work, and it does require uh, political leadership. And I'll also say, you know, and what complete what happens is is that sometimes in an urban area they get so fearful of the policies that they tend not to do anything. Um, case in point, we just had an issue where there appeared to be a gang fight uh, going on in my. I'm from Orange, New Jersey going on between Orange and East Orange. And so what ended up happening is they closed the school early, and so the fight wouldn't happen. But the short of it is that if we had kind of confronted and talked to the kids and seen what the problem was, as opposed to saying, okay, we're just going to close the school, then they can't fight. Because you know what? They just went down the street and forced out an Orange Park. That's right. If we would have talked to them and felt out the, and dealt with the issue and found out that it's probably one or two students, because what then what happens is that you have programs for the masses that get canceled mm-hmm. for the for the minimum amount of students, and it's just so the opposite happens is that because of this um, fear that they're um, being too 
harsh or too whatever, they tend to just throw their hands up and don't do nothing and look the other way. So there's, a, you know, it's either doing the harsh punishment or doing nothing because, I mean, it's just they're not, in my opinion, it's not dealing with it. And I think when it comes to students, especially young students or anybody, they want to be heard and they want to be talked to. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we have to realize is oftentimes schools are the place of stability for a lot of students. So That's if right. we get to school and we're ignoring them like they're being ignored at home, we're just perpetu- um, per- perpetuating the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Councilwoman uh, Williams, and ask you if, I mean, I mean, what one of the things that we want to come out of this broadcast is to have a network of people who are willing to work with us as we set up some kind of structure going uh, going state to state, uh, Dr. Price. State to state. Because I'm sitting here and I've already garnered uh, the headliner, and the headliner is stop the pop, uh, stop the STP pipeline. If they can stop a pipeline coming through Canada and the United States, <laughs> I think that if we do the right things, if we organize effectively, we can stop this pipeline. We can. Yeah. And I wanted to interject something real quick, too. One of the things I've been thinking also, and when uh, Councilwoman Williams talked about how the ladies in a uh, and that housing complex would not ask questions. Well, a lot of them don't feel comfortable asking questions. So I think like a lot, like one of the things we ought to sort of organize with uh, with political leadership is sort of we ought to adopt some schools and, and sort of uh, take, see what how we can sort of take, we can go in and sort of mentor kids and sort of like even speak to their teachers when their parents can't speak to their teachers. We have to find a way to sort of kind of bridge that gap where people don't feel like we're interfering in their business. But we have to be able to sort of kind of sort of keep 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 an update on how the kids are performing in school and and, and see if there's some kind of way where we, I know we, we get statistics I've studied, but we need people on the ground looking at daily, being engaged and see what's going on in these schools daily, as That's opposed right. to getting studies right. after That's six right. and seven months when a lot of the damage has been done. Which is why I advocate that we target uh, that that we have to have as 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 Congress as Councilwoman Williams said, we have to have boots on the ground. Yes, and. That's why every one of you who are listening to this broadcast who have an interest in doing something other than talking and reading about it, that you've got to take some local responsibility. Let me And let me just say one more thing, that we have to change how people look at elected officials. Political seasons are very short seasons. Political seasons are from the time you pull a petition until the time of the election. After the election is done and the person is sworn in, they have a job to do. So look at that look at it from that point of view that when once they're sworn in to do a job they're not a politician they're an employee for their city for their community and they need to do that job and we need Absolutely. to stop looking at, and stop referring to them politicals and, and say listen you have a job to do and i don't 
and um, and I expect you to do the job. And one of the things that I, you know, going back to the president, and I'll say, is the one thing that he said from the beginning was the night he first got elected in 2008, I know everybody didn't vote for me, but I am your president, and I will serve you. And that, and we have to look at it from that point of view. Mm-hmm. After we've cast our vote, made our choice, and whomever prevailed based on the majority vote is now employed to serve in the position that they were voted to do. Absolutely. And they need to do it. And I we agree. have to hold them accountable. But yeah, I agree. I agree with you totally. And I think one of the things we need to sort of I think we have to become uh we need to have a, a educational program, voting educational program because we need to become more informed as well as voters. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when people run on a platform, we need to make sure that they try, you know, that they basically implement their platform. Yeah. Man. That's right. So, uh, Councilwoman Williams, we're going to be in touch with you because okay. you understand this process that we have to create uh, and and you understand the infrastructure under which we create it. And, and I thank you so very much because a lot of times we just have elected officials who say, well, the mama and the daddy ought to do this, and the mama and the daddy ought to do this, and it's uh, it's about the, it's all about the gangs and these bad children who don't know how to behave and pull up their pants. Well, no. that's an easy handle, right. and we need to call people out who yeah. rely on easy handle. I've always been a proponent, and for those of you who are listening, the pen is mightier than the sword for an elected right. official. And because we're not writing opinion pieces and sending it to our local newspapers and calling some of these people out, we are seeing we get what we get. And if we keep right. doing what we're doing, we're going to keep getting what we're getting. Exactly. Um, I am so so pleased to have you have joined us tonight, and thank you so very much. And you know I got your telephone number now. <laughs> okay, now look for And any time you need me, I'm available. I certainly will, and because we're going to be organizing this over a couple of months. This has got to stop. This yes. is the equivalent of a school system buying a car. Listen to me, folks buying a car, and just driving it over our children. But, but you know, I don't understand why we're surprised, though, because, you know, basically where it was set up, it was never intended for us to learn anyway. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why we're surprised why our kids aren't, because we're still allowing people in in many respects, and they're not just, it's just, there are all kinds of people. People aren't there to educate our kids. A lot of people are there for a paycheck. So we have people educating our kids that aren't educated themselves, but also we have people in there that don't love our kids educating yep, our kids. And here's right. another thing that and, and that's one the, of the one of the thing, one of the tools that we can use at a local level is that you can send to a school where there are a great number of suspensions and expulsions of our children and a, a FOIA to the Department of Education asking for the names of teachers and how many students they have expelled. And see, we ought to get and organize a cadre of maybe uh, 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 individuals to sit in these classrooms 
and see what's mm-hmm. going on in the classroom, see if we can get people to kind of be classroom monitors through That's our elected right. officials. That's right. there. When, we, when we see that they have a problem, maybe we can get some people to come in and sit at their school the rest of the year or whatever, you know, switch That's it right. up or something. That's right. But one of the things we also need to do is we also need to have a system. We need to find people who are willing to spend a Saturday morning or a Saturday afternoon or a Friday night interviewing students. Yes. Not just mm-hmm. students who are expelled and suspended, but students, all students, to get their input. In the town of Brookline, when my daughter was um, very young, I, I chaired the... Uh, Conscious Citizens of Brookline Task Force. And we did a survey of black students at the high school. And this is a very, uh, was a very, is a very upscale, predominantly Jewish and and 92% white community. And what we got from those students was their testimony about how they were being marginalized. And Mm -hmm. these were these were kids who came from homes with resources. We had one student them. who said we had one student who said that if she didn't think that her parents would punish her, she would quit school. Her father was a psychiatrist. Wow. And that was back in 1992 or whenever it was. That's 90, in Boston. In, in Brookline, Massachusetts, which okay, is a, yes. uh, which is right next door to Boston. Well, you know what's going on so, in both. <laughs> those are the kinds of things. Those are the kinds of things that we can do. Councilwoman Williams, we uh, are going to be doing um, one of these broadcasts every month, one a month to talk about this issue. So I will certainly be in touch with you, and thank you so very much for your call, and I hope you'll stay with us. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Councilwoman Williams. You're welcome. See, Dr. Price, that's what I'm talking about. Now, here's a responsible elected official, an informed elected official, who's there because she knows she has a job to do. Our she's number is three, four, seven. Go ahead. I say she's an exception, not the rule. That's right. Our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. And if you'd like to join uh, us in this discussion, you can call us and talk with 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 me. I'm Janice Graham, and uh, my guest co-host tonight is Dr. Byron E. Price, and we are discussing how we organize to dismantle the school-to-prison pipeline. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, more talk about that pipeline. Truth Works Network. Truth Works. 
TruthWorks Network. Live from the TruthWorks Network studio at Blog Talk Radio, an Our Common Ground Media production. The Black Voice Collaborative. The Alpha Show Alpha, serving his politics with hot grips. Soul Emergence, with Peter E. Matthews, Reconciling for Revolution. Special Broadcast Series, Working While Black, Black Women in the Prison, and Power Views. The truth must be spoken more than once. Only on TruthWorks Network. You can find TruthWorks Network on Facebook. Like us and learn more about us. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers. But we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers. But we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists. But we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Drilling down. Just damn. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. A two-hour, six-week series for activists, parents, teens, teachers, and other adults who work and advocate for teens. Hosted by Ajay Taimba, author of the book of the same name, TruthWorks Network, coming April 14th, a six-week radio workshop broadcast to help activists, teens, and communities self-empower. I'm Janice Graham. Check out Truth For Are You live radio workshop at TruthWorks Network. Only on TruthWorks Network, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Truth For Are You. Self-empowerment for teens.
invite you to join Peter E. Matthews on Soul Emergence, Tuesday nights, 9 p.m., Soul Emergence at TruthWorks Network. Where reconciliation is the tool of revolution. Soul Emergence with Peter E. Matthews, only on TruthWorks Network, the Black Voice Collaborative. Declare real, raw, and right now. It's the I Declare Show with India Declare. 11 a.m. Friday and Saturday. End your week and start your weekend with real, raw, and right now. 11 a.m. Blog Talk Radio. I Declare it. I want to know why I'm fine one minute and the next. My body aches so bad I can't move. I want to know why my hair is falling out. I'm only 17. I'm tired all the time. Now, this rash. I just want to know what's going on. When you don't have the right answers, it may be time to ask your doctor the right question. Could I have lupus? For answers, for support, for hope, visit couldihavelupus.gov or call 1-800-994-9662. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office on Women's Health and the Ad Council. ...of prisons is a major problem throughout the country. So the majority of the increase in prison building over the past decade or so has been with private prisons and not federal and state-run prisons. And the, the profit margin is what drives private prisons, and the cost-cutting measures to increase profits all come on the backs of those who are employed in the facilities and those who are incarcerated in the facilities. And save us from the madness. This is our common ground. Thank you for joining us tonight. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Stay tuned. And we thank you for being with us here tonight with my guest co-host tonight, Dr. Byron E. Price. Welcome back, my brother. It's good to have you here trying to push through all of the madness. Yes, I'm glad to be here. You know, also as a part of our new initiative, we're going to... We're going to engage in an intellectual and economic offensive. Okay. How does that go? Well, the intellectual offensive, we have to begin to find out how we can get our young people to begin to appreciate education and knowledge and so forth. And so, and I think that goes back to showing them us understanding and getting the school system to understand that the learning experiences are not a one-size-fits-all when you look at the traditional K-12 classroom, because basically they're looking at sort of everything is standardized. And so that's why I'm going back to the accelerator idea. And when you think about an accelerator, culture matters, and it can be applied. So we need to begin to develop human capital and foremost, and we need to start young because a lot of our kids don't have, aren't developing the critical thinking skills necessary because they're bombarded with tests, 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 
rote learning and so forth. So one of the things we need to do, we need to get the politicians who are pushing these exams and these standardized tests and allowing their friends to make billions of dollars off of testing to understand that, you know, we're not going to allow you all to test our kids out of a testament to a state where they don't value education or preach, appreciate critical analysis, okay? Mm-hmm. And I so, think that, I think the testing is problematic uh, that they have our kids basically uh, sort of focus. That's all they do. And when you think about it, a lot of them cut out physics and a lot of, a lot of other different kind of uh, courses that would make the education more robust. And they scale it down just to focus on tests. They don't give our kids none of the advanced class, advanced chemistry, advanced algebra or whatever, physics, trigonometry, geometry. I mean, the curriculums are so bad, they're just basically focused to get them to take a test. So we have to make sure that we uh, stop this practice by many of the schools who who engage in this type of uh, behavior. Well... Okay, so that goes on the agenda for part of the resistance campaign. Yes. Because I think you're I think you're absolutely right and what happens is our children become adults who can't think through some of these issues. You know, one of my concerns and I've discussed it with with this audience before is that we have mon- black millenni- millennials this younger generation who really believe that they're in a post-racial America. (laughs) And that's problematic because it's an illusion. And um, they spend all of their time in their 20s and early 30s operating out of that illusion until they get smart somehow through the the tough and the rumble. Mm -hmm. So we do. The that's other part of thing the intellectual like, offensive, as you talked about. That's, that's right. So the the other thing that I I think we ought to add uh, to to that is we have to be clear about who our stakeholders are. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't walk around and say, "Oh, the people who live down the street in the projects, they don't matter." My mm-hmm. children. Kids like my kids matter, mm-hmm. and those are the kids who are, in fact, doing well on the tests, and the children that are being marginalized by those tests are children who live down the street in the projects. Well, so maybe somebody out there. Yes, it's, it's competitive. They're not concerned about other people's kids. That's right, and they and they have taken on what I would consider a European mindset by adopting how white people compete in a public and private and charter school system. You know, we're well, running our surprise and when everything around you basically reinforces um it doesn't reinforce your culture, you know, when you think about the, when you see everything that talks about who had the achievement gap, blacks uh, behind whites, who they always compare. When you see uh, beauty, when you see even pictures of white Jesus, I mean, all the images, you know, suggest, uh, the imagery suggests that you're inferior. 
Uh-huh. So it's not surprising, you know. I think we have to begin to sort of reorient our young people to to get them to understand that, you know, that basically civilization, when you think about, you know, I think I saw where you were talking about you would get going to Mali, you know. And, and, and so when you think about the Timbuktu and University of San Correa and you think about the Egyptian mystery system or the seven liberals, when you think about all these great... Uh, Institutions, you know, we don't value we we don't value education. You think about W. E. Du Bois. You think about a lot of the educators, you know, mm-hmm. back then. And there's some great thinkers now, but no one is sort of thinking. When Marcus Garvey had an interesting movement, it was great. I've been studying him, but there was there was some he had some flaws, and then there was some jealousy, and other people had flaws. But we have to sort of recapture what he had, but sort of. Get rid of the the flaws that that that, that was a part of his program. Part of it, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, it's th- almost it's almost like, and we're going to take a um, a commentary break uh, in a few minutes, and I okay. want everybody to pay attention because I think it's important how we think. You know, it seems like everybody's my brain has been blown up by this recent um, Clive Bundy. Um, crap-kicking rancher out there um, in Nevada and... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, what Don Sterling had to say uh, or express about his racist ideas, and we seem to be uh, somewhat surprised by all of these things. Yeah, but they get, and we get I preoccupied that, with that stuff. Yes, and I think that... I have been saying on this broadcast... Um, uh, Dr. Price for three years. Well, I, ever since uh, Barack Obama was was elected president, that we have got to stop and think that our priority has got to be what's happening, where we live, what we eat, how we eat, how we earn our our, our living, and how we create our wealth, and how we educate our children. Most and nothing best. else should distract from that. We've got, a call in for those, yeah, we've got a call in for those of you who want to get in on this, this discussion. The number is 347-838-9852. Um, and, and, and we have got to be interested enough to be invested in just an agenda that has to do with us. Because if they fix Wall Street, which they never will, if they fix the banking system, which where they never will, if they fix Why all of the things that? that's on the headliner, it still is not going to penetrate to benefiting us to any extent. Why would you do that? They, that's how they legalize uh, theft. Why would you do that? Exactly. 610, you're on the air with us here at Our Common Ground. Thank you for your call. I respect you. And you know I respect you and yours. Uh, this is uh, B- Brother Brock out here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hello. Brother Brock, so glad to have you with us tonight. Glad to be aboard and to your guests. And an interesting uh, conversation that we here in Philadelphia have been hammering the drum for years 
way before I became an activist. And when both my children were in school, I was uh, taking road trip, bus trips to Washington, D.C., going to all the different school board meetings here in my hometown and fighting against this. Uh, it was not called school to pipeline at that time, mm-hmm. but uh, one of the key issues that, that moved directly in that direction was when the government um, allowed police officers to roam the hallways at the schools. So well, that's probably the beginning of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so our town, this is, what, this is how I'm going to almost disagree with the lady who was on just a few minutes ago. I don't want to say disagree, but I'll just prove my point. The parents fought this tooth and nail against the politicians. Our local politicians were on board with the national politicians who wanted security in the school. We did not want that as parents. We had to fight our politicians, and, they, they, and, and, and we lost. And our own elected school board, who are our parents because their children go to the school, they were also for this mass security system. They waited. We, we jam-packed this arena, this uh, auditorium, two meetings straight, and then the vote was on the third meeting. So the third meeting, long story short, the school board waited until 1.10 a.m., 10 minutes after 1 a.m., to cast the vote because so many parents were against allowing police officers to come into the school system when a teacher called to say that they, they had a problem with a student. And this is elementary school as well as middle school. So wow. our school board, just like other school boards, they knew the parents were against this. But when the 500, 600 parents were there, they kept delaying it. They kept stalling it. They kept letting people come to the microphone and, and arguing. We were going back and forth. And, and, and next you know, uh, the meeting starts at 7 a.m., 7 p.m., it's 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m. They waited until almost every single person left because they couldn't pass a vote when we were all there. Mm-hmm. And then once they, once they tired us out, because we're working parents, damn it, we didn't mm-hmm. give up the fight. Our town, everybody in our town works. So, not everybody, I'm exaggerating, but, you know, it's a working town. Now, so we know what you mean, brother. Yeah, so that's what happened. The, you know, the, the, uh, most of the parents are totally against this crap, but most of these local politicians, and, and definitely mostly all the national politicians, they're pushing this stuff down our face. So that's the part I wanted to disagree with when he said we have to stay engaged with our politicians. Our politicians are screwing us on this issue. They are directly well, that, in that- Brother Brock, you you know what? Then that that really changes the fabric of what your resistance has to be. Um, it has to be that you've got to get the right people in office. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, one of the things that yeah. people like your school board, it sounds like, and I'm posting it in the in the in the chat room is that do you remember Joe Lewis Clark, the iconic principal portrayed by Morgan Freeman in the 
89 uh, film, Lean On Me. Yes, out there in the state of New Jersey. I forget what town. Was that Newark? You, another, the man no, Patterson. Name. I think it's Patterson. New Jersey? Okay, okay, yeah. But I definitely remember. Go ahead. All of America bought into that. We were all, I, and you all know you were doing it. Everybody was saying, oh, this is a great way, and, and he's a great person. And what essentially, what it says is that um, some students are just bad apples who have to be separated from the rest. And, and it is that kind of mindset that classrooms, that that teachers have to become overseers and classrooms have to be stripped and it, it's coupled with the presence of police and school resource offices and hallways and the over-reliance of suspensions. It, mm. and, and it has had a disturbing result and it feeds right into what we're talking about tonight and that's the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this pipeline is developed with the laws that have come down to help schools throw children out. Zero and, and, and don't forget that it comes at the time. same time when cities were trying to justify hiring more police officers. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Now here's the caveat that's taking place right this second. One, I wish I could remember the name of the city that just did this, but because prisons are costing states so much money, now states are looking to close or stop building some of these prisons mm-hmm. that they have. Yeah. So that's basically our only light at the end of this tunnel. Because well, you know what, not necessarily, my brother, because now what they're doing is they're using social impact bonds to address incarceration. So they just, they just, they're just flipping the script. They're finding another way how to make some money using social impact bonds. Okay, I'm not familiar with that. Maybe if but I social up impact you. bonds, basically, you say uh, the government would say, uh, okay, if you can save us money, you have private investors uh, sort of have a company, and if they can save money, then, you know, they float the bonds, they sell the bonds, they can save money, they get a percentage of it. Oh, uh, uh, Yeah, you know, it's just same like, you know, like, you know, when you think about the bonding process, okay, we're going to sell bonds. And then they're going to make money off of it. So One of the reasons that we have to enlist at the local level people understanding what is happening in their communities, because you cannot do this nationally to, to a great extent. This has no. to be local. For instance, many of you don't even know that the United Methodist Church owned nearly $1 million in stock in private prison corporations like Corrections Corporations of mm-hmm. America and GEO Group. Many yeah. of you don't even know that. Well, many of the people don't know that they probably, if they don't have social, if they don't have what they call, what is it, socially responsible investment, you may be invested in the Corrections Corporation of America, the GEO Group, if you if you if you exactly. look at your portfolio. Exactly. Now, what if, I, I, what if they did know? If they did know, would they be happy that their stock is making um, uh, shareholders profit, and, and would they go along to get Well, they, well they're part of the shareholders if they own the stock, so they're making money as well. So, 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 right. now, so now if they know they're not going to fight against it, you know, I, I, I've never 
I've been playing stocks for a long time. I don't play nowhere near the way I used to. But I've never been a person to raise my hand and say, jerk the, jerk the people so I can make a profit. I've never said that. But well, you're a different, you're a different kind of man. A lot of people, you know, money, you know, money is, is the be all and end all for some people. It's everything. So, you just different. You have a different, uh, you have a different spirit. That's one of the reasons why we can come together in, in unity because a lot of us don't have the same spirit. All they have to do is pay you off, and then you like in South Africa, you don't behind the cardboard box when they used to testify on them, or you like some of the other people that would give away your sort of slave revolt. So, you know, that that's one of the reasons why we, we can't get ahead because you have people that will sell their soul, which usually thwarts what in any kind of sort of a momentum that we have. So we just have to find some soldiers that are, you know, that are really committed to to, mm-hmm. to, to the community and to the people. And and it's difficult, you know, when you think about everybody's in that most the majority of people are enamored with uh, becoming uh, multi-millionaires and billionaires. And so they could be like Jay-Z said, when they come around asking for something, well, my presence is charity. I made it, you know, so, you know, you around me, show you I can make it. You know, I'm not concerned that, or like Dr. Dre gave USC $36 million, although a lot of the black kids buy his, uh, his, 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 his beats by Dre, he could have taken that $36 million and built up some of those schools they closed in Philadelphia. Now they they close what they they spent about four hundred fifty two million on prisons, but they closed down what about how many schools did they close down in Philadelphia? Twenty three in Philadelphia. Twenty three, and then they've been they built like what spent about four hundred some fifty some million on prisons, right? Eight hundred million, two different brand new prisons, uh, yeah. right here. Eight, mm-hmm. A little more than eight hundred. Yeah, yeah, crazy. But the it's good crazy. news Probably. is, the good news is that. Bill Gates and his stake and his stake in GEO, GEO came under pressure, and in that process, three major corporations announced yeah. a divestment of a combined total of nearly sixty million dollars from the correction. Yeah, that's a drop in the bucket because correction of corporation of America make billions of dollars. So I understand they right. took sixty, but they, you know, most of us, most of the people go to jail if you steal like forty billion and they find you sixty million. You should go to jail, won't you? Get that's a few right. couple years that's and right. come out, and you still got billions. And but just think about it. You know, we thought Bill Gates was this great guy, you know, but you you invested in prison, so you know, it's it's like you know, it's, it's about money at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it really is. But but the point that has to be made is that uh, because of uh, Scopia Capital, one of the largest institutional investors in private prisons, dropped more than $1.5 million in GEO Group stock shares, and has committed to full divestment, and well, all of this good. came as a as a result. All of that came as a result of the pressure put on these corporations by uh, the campaign to divest from private prisons mm-hmm. by um, colorofchange.org. Yes, that's good. Uh, yeah, well, and that's, that, and we should be able to do stuff. that in our community. They, that, they, that's a new strategy of. Since we're not winning, since they weren't winning against the politicians, they decided to go directly to the corporations and try That's to show right. the corporations what's yeah, wrong. Yeah, to go to the money. 
Yeah, you always got to go follow the money. You got to go to the direct. Got to go to the direct source. The money. Yeah. That's little, right. You know, and 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 I I recently and 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 one of the things is that we have to get on this, and this is why we're willing to use our resources. And I've been talking to some other talk show hosts about spending some time. In doing this, the Civil Rights Project's most recent analysis of the school suspension issues um, at 6,000 school districts shows a disturbingly disproportionate impact of strident discipline on black students. And according to Mm -hmm. their numbers, 25% of black middle school students have been suspended. And I'm sure that all of you read about this issue of suspension of preschool kids. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, outrageous. Bring them out in handcuffs, six years old. That's right. And 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 in the Civil Rights Project, um, uh, a study in 124 school districts across the country, more than half of black students have be, been suspended at least once. So what we need to do, I think, is we need to sort of organize a, I guess for lack of a better word, a a sort of a students, a word, where we come up with what a word, since they suspend, they don't want our kids in school, maybe we ought to sort of get none of our schools attend school for for a couple weeks and we get people to still educate them while we try to negotiate them changing some laws. We need to have a strike. Students need, kids need to have a strike against Mm -hmm. these zero tolerance policies. We need to have a national strike. A national strike of black students in public yeah. schools. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and to negotiate what's going on. Now, yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask you, Dr. Uh, Brother Brock, in Philadelphia, do you think that that can happen? I think the second the, the, the part that – what's the brother's name that we're talking to? Excuse me, the host, the, the guest, uh, excuse me for missing his name again. Dr. Byron Price. Dr. Byron Price, excuse me very much, excuse me. I think the part – where we drop the ball if we went on strike, students, we don't have – too many people will take advantage and not learn from someone else. They no, 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 but, but that's why we have to get in with the parents. I, I, I agree with – that's why I think what, what, what Sister Graham said, you, that's why we have to have local – have to have local uh, participation. Have to organize because remember they mobilized the civil rights movement and they waved it off, so we had to find – we had to get some alternative – to make sure their kids getting educated, okay, getting their schoolwork. If that part could be tight, then I think the strikes would work, and that's what we need. Um, yes, and and I like the way one of the uh, advocates here in Philadelphia says it. He says, and and uh, the Professor Price, you alluded to it earlier. How do you expect? You know, the, you all, you've always said the system is working just the way they want it to work. That's How right. can why, why do we expect them? To teach us what we need to know, is, you know they're doing their job correctly by making sure the system fails. We keep doing the wrong thing by going back to the same failing system. And then when they brought in the uh, charter school, that was you know pretty much supposed to help out, but it takes money from the public school. So That's right. You know, That's right. You know this is pure class warfare. There you go. It's pure, pure class, class warfare. warfare. Simple. You know the strike should work. We definitely wouldn't have to get. We'd have to get a, a, a huge amount of volunteers, and that's where we drive the ball. Minute you okay, start talking about this is that is exactly where we 
dropped the ball, and yep. for Dr. Price and I to bring leadership to this, we will rely on people like you, Brother Brock, to give us the names of the organizations who can support us in creating the kind of leadership that's needed in your community. For those of you who are listening, Dr. Price is the person who, I mean, it gives me a headache. Oh, my God, I'm getting a headache. Um, The whole, we, we keep... We keep quoting Michelle Alexander, the new Jim Crow. We keep reading all of these books and all of these blogs about this issue, but we are not organizing and resisting. Mm -hmm. We're not doing the local research to understand the extent of the problem in the places that we live, in our own homes. Are we talking to our children? Nope. About what's happening at their schools. And they keep talking about the new Jim Crow. Jim Crow ain't never left. Ain't no new Jim Crow. <laughs> okay. well, I'm, I'm going to hang up and let some more people get in, Miss Jana. Thank you, Brother up. Brock, for your call. And we're going to rely on you to send us a list. Just send us a list with the website or the address or whatever. Um, and for all of you, you can send it to OCGinfo at OurCommonGround.com, organizations that you know of in your community that will be interested in looking at this issue and calling for zero tolerance. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852. And we're going to take a news break, and when we come back, we'll continue to talk about this dismantling of the school-to-prison pipeline with my guest co-host, Dr. Byron Price. For us at Black Agenda Report, the most telling angle on the story of Donald Sterling, the racist billionaire owner of the L.A. Clippers, was that the Los Angeles NAACP, which had been about to give Sterling a second, not a first, but a second Lifetime Achievement Award, eagerly stepped forward to offer redemption and forgiveness for the small cost of a few more strategic donations from the deep pockets of Donald Sterling. This will not be the first time Sterling has purchased absolution for his many sins. In 2003, Sterling settled a housing discrimination lawsuit paying $5 million to plaintiff's attorneys alone, and in 2006 he was accused by the Justice Department of refusing to rent apartments to African Americans and Latinos. But a steady stream of donations to big-name civil rights organizations, amounting at most to a few ten-thousandths of his net worth, were sufficient to make it okay in the eyes of those outfits, and in the case of the NAACP, they were sufficient to get him that first lifetime award. Depending on the rich and powerful to pay their bills, while pretending to speak for the poor and oppressed, is not a mere bug in the way our 21st century civil rights organizations function. It is a fundamental feature, baked into the bones of not just the NAACP, but of the National Urban League, the League of United Latin American Citizens, the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, the National Conference of Black State Legislators, the Rainbow Push Coalition, 
Al Sharpton's National Action Network, and many others of this kind. In the practice of catching corporate racists with their pants down and extracting a franchise here, a dealership there, a TV show, or hefty donations to worthy causes, the hunter always gets captured by the game. In Georgia, where I live, the Southern Christian Leadership Council got the CEO of Georgia Power to head up their building fund. Residents of Shell Bluff, a poor, mostly black town, invited Reverend Joe Lowry of SCLC to their town to show him their cancer epidemic, evidently caused by radiation from a leaking Georgia Power nuclear plant, while federal agencies refused to fund testing of their air, water, soil, wildlife, or persons. Georgia Power is now building a brand new nuclear plant next to the old ones with $800 million in loan guarantees from the Obama administration. But all that SCLC could do was to tell them, go vote. Wells Fargo had aggressively sold subprime mortgages to blacks and is believed to, engage, to have engaged in thousands or tens of thousands of the same kinds of robo-signings and illegal foreclosures that Bank of America pled guilty to. So after the bailout, Wells Fargo partnered with the NAACP to do so-called financial literacy classes for youth. There are examples like this in any direction one cares to look. Donald Sterling may imagine he owns basketball players, but he really does own the NAACP, just as surely as Verizon, Comcast, Aetna, Walmart, MSNBC, and others own the National Action Network, Rainbow Push, the Urban League, the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, and the rest of our politically bankrupt black misleadership class. For Black Agenda Report, I'm Bruce Dixon. Find us on the web at www.blackagendareport.com. <laughs> and we thank Bruce Dixon and Black Agenda Report for that commentary. That was powerful. Daddy, what that there? And why that under there? And oh, daddy, oh, hey, daddy, look it over there. Hey, what they doing there? And where are they going there? And daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? Hey, who that in my chair? And what she doing there? And oh, daddy, oh, hey, daddy, can I go over there? We thank you for being here at our Common Ground. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Janice OCG and ourcommonground-talk.ning.com is where you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can blog and find out program information about what we are doing. Thank you so very much for being with us, and uh, we hope that you'll join us each Saturday at 10 p.m. Uh, programming note, we're going to be ending our the first part of our 2014 broadcast season on May 24th, and we'll be coming back at on June 28th. 
so you can enjoy our archives from all of our websites and from Facebook, and we hope that you do during that time. Byron, you know, sometimes you get tired. I got a um, message on Facebook today from one of our listeners who just said, I'm just so tired. <laughs> and um, my response to her was, you know, you get tired, you stop, you cry. Then you keep, and then you get up and you keep moving because this this does not stop. It's not gonna stop, and she she can't get tired. I think, like I tell people, a lot of people say you always doing this and you go out of the country. This, I just tell them I got time to sleep when I die. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I just wanted to, to talk to you about that. I want you to be my travel manager. Let me be your you travel manager. Never. Ever not coming from some place or going to some place, and hey, I'm that's saying work, that's work to be done. Do that? That's work where you know it, it's easy. You know it's easy to do that. I think one of the things I've been pretty blessed. You know, like through my education, like I never saw my dad till I was 26, and uh, basically, like a lot of young kids, they were frustrated. I was told I couldn't learn, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that. But I persevered, and I, I did a lot of things that was necessary, and so now it's paying off. Like Malcolm, Brother Malcolm said, Malcolm said that education is your passport to the future. And so, you know, I've been able to sort of engage in a lot of things that I, that, that I dreamt of, but I never thought I would be able to fulfill. So I've been pretty blessed. And one of the things I'm doing while I'm in, engaged in this effort is because I want to give back because I've been blessed. And so that's why that's why I'm doing things, traveling around around the country, trying to help sort of K through 12 and some of the schools that I work with to sort of strengthen, you know, their systems and so forth, and try to get more people in there that are actually concerned about our students getting educated. Because there's a lot of people that are educating our kids aren't really interested in educating our kids. They're just there for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And we just have a lot of problems. You pointed out that we we have we have no unity, well, very little unity, and too many people want to be in charge. Like, for example, you know, as opposed to, you know, we're talking about this here initiative, and people gonna go out and start. Uh, and not saying you, you can stop people, but people people look to make money off of people for from from these initiatives and so forth. Even with the learning curve, I'm, well, I'm, I'm plugging the learning curve as a way to sort of address things, not to make money, but as a way to shift the paradigm away from how kids are being educated. And Because I, I, one of the things I like to do is sort of uh, help combat poverty. You know, I live in New York City. I see so many homeless people in New York City. I see so many uh, mentally unstable people, people talking to themselves all the time. And we just walk over this like nothing's happening. You think about the kids that are out of school. So we just have so many things that we can do and not be preoccupied with things, preoccupied with irrelevant, insignificant things. I think it was on some site in Facebook, we spend so much time making insignificant people, stupid people, famous. I mean, so... You think about the issues uh, that we have out there, you really could be uh, fulfilled by sort of uh, empowering kids when mm-hmm. you think about it. It's just education initiative uh, effort that we're going to be uh, engaged in is really something that, you know, we should leave our legacy of, you know, because I always ask what is your legacy going to be, one of construction or, de- or destruction. Yeah. And, if, yeah. and our legacy is going to be one of destruction because we're allowing them to destroy our children. 
And that's going to be our legacy. And so we should embrace that. 347-838-9852. And we do. We we need to to stop making stupid people famous um, and stop talking about famous people who are stupid. You know, and we I need to get rid of TV. Yeah, we need to get rid of TV. I need to we need to get rid of your cable. Stop looking at TV. Well, you know, it's interesting <laughs> that you say that because here is a community that are huge subscribers to organi- mm-hmm. to to providers like Comcast, uh, RCN, mm-hmm. that other. Uh, provider that Comcast is going to merge with because that merger is going to go forward. And we are not requiring them to do anything. They think that because they show us the the the, the housewife, Real Housewives of Atlanta, mm-hmm. and, LA Housewives, or the game, and, and we good. The basketball wives. And yeah, these are yeah. people who have, have serious, I, I'm, I am telling you, some serious um, mental illnesses. Of course they do. But 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 I think there's a saying: if you're given bread for being stupid, you may learn to despise instruction. So what's taking place <laughs> in, our, in in our community is that we're we're basically giving uh, people we're rewarding um, people that are not intelligent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so when kids see that, hey, I can make a video sex tape and get money like Kim Kardashian or Mimi or whatever her name is, and what are you little young girls who doesn't have the influence of a, a mother like yourself, what do they do? And then you think about that mother, how she released it. I know Steve Harvey, he was talking about it and so forth, you know, and not to sort of, as the young people said, throw shade on him, but we just let anybody become a relation expert, you know. Yeah, and so, absolutely. You know, <laughs> and, and, just, and give us Because he's famous, because they're famous, you know. Give us guidance right out of their rear ends. Yeah, basically, but but I guess I kind of digress. But you know, you know, we need to help. You know, one of the things that I try to do. That's why I work with people. I step back because if you're the one really that's very good at this here, I see myself as a conduit to help you make a difference. And once I get you plugged in and and you're straight, then we need to find some other people. See, there are a lot of talented people, but. A lot of people aren't interested in investing in investing in uh, people without some kind of benefit. But some see, I'm not that system. way. Yeah, I, I like I mean, to invest in people. I, 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 said, I, I, I was on a radio, I was a guest on a radio show, syndicated radio show last night that also does live streaming. And uh, here is a, a white radio host who has taken an interest in what we do here every Saturday night. And and I would be more than willing to do it Monday through Friday every night, two hours, because that's what we need. Because if white folks are talking 24 hours a day, we need to be talking 28 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Um, But we we don't have the listener base. Of course you don't have to listen to bass because they're probably in the club uh, buying bottles, uh, drinking uh, Chirac and whatever else they drink, Crystal, you know, he's paying $1,000 bottle service. You know, of course you yeah, don't have to listen. I, I, just, I, I don't understand. You need to talk it. about sex and they would be glued. He'd be like, yeah, how you doing? 
I know. If if you know, I said to people, I went on the air the same day, at the same exact time. Uh, Our Common Ground premiered uh, as the Oprah Winfrey Show uh, back in the eighties. In 1985, 80, yeah, 80, 80, 85. And, um, and I said to myself, and lots of people approached me and said, you know, we could make you the Oprah Winfrey of radio. Mm-hmm. But I have a different kind of mission for my life. <laughs> well, but see, a lot, a lot of people, you know, uh, I, I get it, you know, to be well. I get it. I understand why a lot of people want to be wealthy. But, you know, you know, you see a lot of those wealthy people are unhappy. I'm not saying not to become, try not to aspire to become wealthy, but you need to live a, wide, a life that's fulfilling fulfilling and rewarding, but also mm-hmm. where you enrich others' lives. When you've been blessed, you know, you're supposed to bless others. And so, and I just think, you know, part of our problem is we're pre, too preoccupied with what these other people are doing, and we're not, sort of focus on what we need to be doing, some of those things you could be doing to sort of improve yourself, in which we have to get our kids to understand that. But our kids don't see us improving ourselves. Absolutely. So why would we, why can, how can we expect them to try to improve themselves? When we don't read, we're watching mm-hmm. TV all the time, we're using profane language, we're just doing everything under the sun, and then we expect them to sort of uh, be different. Well, you know, kids watch you. Kids study you. You know, because as Patao Tep says, every man teaches as he as he acts. Mm-hmm. So basically people observe you. And I, I always tell, I, I, I share a little funny story, which is how we digress. Uh, you know, I, I guess I can't tell that story because I, I get in trouble with one of my sisters. I won't tell that story. But <laughs> no, we don't want you to get in trouble. No, 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 because I'm going home for Mother's Day next weekend, so I don't want to get in trouble. You know, I'm going home yeah, to honor my yeah. mother. I go home every Mother's Day. But it, it's just interesting. You know, I had a fantastic. I have a fantastic mother. Although I never saw my dad till I was 26. But you know, my mother basically um, gave us so much love that we, you know, we never missed our father. But also, you know, in like all these labels, you know, a lot of a lot of people didn't know it was a problem. Not not saying I don't want a, a nuclear family family intact, but a lot of us never realized it was a bad thing not having a dad around because we had grandmother or, you know, you had your mother. Your I mean, grandfather and your uncles. Yeah, that's right. And and so I think all these labels and things are, are just are not a very good thing. You know, we put way way too many labels. On kids, you know everything. You know that some things work, sometimes they don't work. And but I think our education system needs to sort of a we, we need a paradigm shift, and we need to do like you know when when the U.S. bombed Japan, but the Japanese knew they couldn't fight them with a build a war machine, but they built an economic machine. Look at China. China is trying to take over the world. But see, but blacks, what do we do? You know, we spend. Here's the thing, like. Africans and a lot of like, Africans, you know, they remit $61 billion back to, they sent $61 billion back to Africa. Africans in, you know, in, in Africans in the U.S. How much money are you of that you think Western Union is taking? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I sent a friend of mine uh, $20 in Lesotho for a program she was having. You know, uh, I forget the name of the other one because I've never, never really used those money. They charged me $12 to send $20. Yep. Yep. So 
So think that's about the, that market. Think about all these markets out here that we should be sort of a training our students, our kids to take advantage of, of, you know, teach them to become entrepreneurs at a young age because people don't hire us. That's right. That's and right. And so we and have to start creating jobs. And, and and the thing is we have to start capitalizing it, capitalizing uh, those things which are in our interest. We're going to have That's to right. fold up here in a few minutes, uh, Dr. Price, and one of the things I want to do is go back over some okay. of the things that we have talked about when we made this list about how you begin to dismantle. The, uh, the, the, the first thing that I think about is you've got to be committed. And yeah. you, opened, uh, you opened up this discussion tonight by saying, asking the question, what do we care about? And I think that that is as essential as any other thing. And we thank uh, Councilwoman Donna Williams from uh, Newark for uh, giving us um, uh, some wisdom in all of this, is that we have to create the appropriate and effective political platform locally. Mm -hmm that we have to do our research about the extent to which this problem exists in our communities and in the schools that are in our communities. And that doesn't necessarily mean where you exactly live or whether or not you have children. Mm -hmm. If you have grandchildren or nieces and nephews or neighborhood children that you care about, you need to learn about what this problem is is all about in your community. And you need to align that research and knowledge by organizing parents and advocates yeah. who can work on the problem. The other is that you mentioned was um, taking a look and an examining and questioning and challenging testing that is used to marginalize our children in schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing that I suggest is that our community, until we get this right, until we, as you say, until we can change the paradigm, we need to have an alternative in every community for children who are being expelled and suspended. There yeah. is no reason without with all of the educated, well-experienced black people in our communities that we can't have an alternative site where if we don't do anything but teach black history and black culture at those sites while children are expelled, they have a place to go where they uh, are quick, fed. A quick, inter- a quick interjection. A lot of uh-huh. those kids aren't returned to those schools because they keep they push them out because they affect their test scores. So a lot of kids, That's even right. when they go to juvenile and when they get pushed out, they never really return and they wind up dropping out. So we That's need right. to get into these dropout factories right. and so forth and, and offer some education as well. And and I just want to throw that in right while you wrap up. I'm sorry. The, no, that's quite all right. That's your job as a, as a host <laughs> is, to, is to is to keep it real about what all of these things mean. The other is that what 
we have on the list is to look at the idea of a national strike of black students for three to five days to mm-hmm. see if that can affect the necessary ignition mm-hmm. and, and, and shock value and give shock value to these issues because people are not as much as being that is being published about it, people are not paying attention. They're not taking it seriously, and they yeah. are choosing to be ignorant about the outcomes and results. The mm-hmm. other is that we, you need to know, for those of you who are listening, you need to know more about the learning curve, and I suggest that you bec- that you friend, like, uh, Dr. Price on Facebook and get more information about it. Dr. Price and I are going to be collaborating around this project with a special web page and a special Facebook page and a special forum uh, so that we can continue this discussion. Before I go out on break in, in May, we will have another broadcast about this issue. Uh, Time's really running out, Dr. Price. Thank you so much. We want to thank uh, Brother Brock of Philadelphia, PA, for his call and his insightful understanding of the issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Donna Williams, the uh, councilwoman from um, Newark, New Jersey. For no, she's from Orange, New Jersey. I'm sorry, Orange, New Jersey, for calling in and talking about her obvious insight. Uh, about these issues. So we'll see you right here with Open Mic. We'll be talking a little bit more about this next Saturday night here at our Common Ground. Thank you for being with us, and don't forget that we have the power. We just have to identify it and begin to use it. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Get Thank you for being with us tonight at Our Common Ground. We hope that you'll join us each Saturday night, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves. To contact us, email us at ocginfo at ourcommonground.com and visit our website, ourcommonground.com. Join us on Facebook and Twitter at JaniceOCG. And I'll be listening for you. We are living in a nation faced with the possibility of war on multiple mental and physical levels. We got black wars against the police. We still got crack wars in the streets. Unemployment at its peak. Overcrowded cells in present-day hell. Wars of Jews against Muslims over whether a created state is real. Wars over Western with Saddam. American politicians arguing over the difference between smart and dirty bombs instead of smart children in dirty schools. I feel like it's me against the world and I'm starting to get ill without even thinking of Kim Jong. Though North Korea does have the world turning up on its accents right now. With these signs of the time in mind, I wake up every day asking myself one question. And it takes me no less than 24 agonizing hours to answer. Am I going to die today? I said, am I going to die today? 
I don't even bother watching my back anymore because I might get killed from the side today. Or maybe they get me in nuclear with bombs dropping from the sky today. Or maybe some religious fanatic is going to blow my behind up in a train station after deciding he wants to get close to the paradise today. Hell, I gotta wonder if some insane and depressed pilot whose wife just cheated on him and ran away with the kids is gonna fly today. Right into the 13th floor of my building where I just called my wife to tell her I gotta rise and pay. Or am I gonna get hit on some DWB while driving on I-95 today? Or maybe some crooked cop's gonna decide that so no good nigga's mom's gotta cry today? All this while wondering if Bush is gonna play chess if I lie today? Why today? Instead of thinking about all that today, I think I'm just gonna lose myself in the movement The moment I own it, cause it might be time to go It only takes one shot for cops to release my soul Cause our community stopped by filthy 5-0 So, so I decided that I'm gonna fight today Cause there's always just enough time left to be right today See, I got kids looking up to me to take a stand against wars of Korea, Iraq, and Afghanistan today. So I gotta fight for the world to be safe for we. And this is also personal because I don't want my child to see my face next to the definition of complacency. I'm gonna fight this BS system with all of my might today. Because it's true that tomorrow will never die, but I might today. In a world where too many visionaries have become so hopeless that they're losing their sight today. And so many pedophiles and perverted priests out there that I gotta worry about whether my sons and daughters are gonna stay tight today. While Bush gives the rich tax cuts and the poor act cuts on educational spending, my students are depending on me to do what's right today. Looking down at the end of the tunnel, I woke up seeing the light today. Cause get this, nations may blow up entire other nations out of spite today. And though I got my cell phone on, I may not have enough time to call my mom to say goodbye today. Y'all may say I'm paranoid today, but inhaling historical truths has got me high today. So now I'm looking for heroines and heroes to help me stop our plight today. I'm even wondering if all this secondhand smoke finally gave me cancer today. So I called 911 for emergency assistance, but Bin Laden answered today. See, I just walked around thinking something's gonna get me. And I wonder why the hell you never ponder if you're coming with me. So you just got to forgive me because I'm just recounting some of the signs of the times that we live in. Because if ignorance is bliss, I know some of y'all forgot the hell we done been in. Got me wondering if God's really gonna be forgiven for all of our sinning. Like killing each other in the name of religion. I don't know about y'all, but I'm gonna fight and never give in. So if I die before I lay my head to sleep today, I just pray to God my soul to keep today. Oh, Vishunia, 